Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Greatest Love Stories. This is your host, John Hagedorn. And today, chapters 29 and 30, from Anne of Green Gables, by Lucy Maud Montgomery. And now, chapter 29, an epic in Anne's life. Anne was bringing the cows home from the back pasture by the way of Lover's Lane. It was a September evening, and all the gaps and clearings in the woods were brimmed up with ruby sunset light. Here and there the lane was splashed with it, but for the most part it was already quite shadowy beneath the maples, and the spaces under the firs were filled with a clear violet dusk like airy wine. The winds were out on their tops, and there is no sweeter music on earth than that which the wind makes in the fir trees at evening. The cows swung placidly down the lane, and Anne followed them dreamily, repeating aloud the battle canto from Marmion, which had also been part of the English course the preceding winter, and which Miss Stacy had made them learn off by heart, and exulting in its rushing lines and the clash of spears in its imagery. When she came to the lines, the stubborn spearsmen still made good, their dark, impenetrable wood. She stopped in ecstasy to shut her eyes that she might better fancy herself one of that heroic ring. When she opened them again, it was to behold Diana coming through the gate that led into the berry field and looking so important that Anne instantly divined there was news to be told. But betray too eager curiosity, she would not. "'Isn't this evening just like a purple dream, Diana? "'It makes me so glad to be alive. "'In the mornings, I always think the mornings are best, "'but when evening comes, I think it's lovelier still.' "'It's a very fine evening,' said Diana. "'But, oh, I have such news. "'Guess. You can have three guesses. "'Charlotte Gillis is going to be married in the church after all, "'and Mrs. Allen wants us to decorate it,' cried Anne. "'No, Charlotte's beau won't agree to that, "'because nobody ever has been married in the church yet.' "'and he thinks it would seem too much like a funeral. "'It's too mean, because it would be such fun. "'Guess again. "'Jane's mother is going to let her have a birthday party.' "'Diana shook her head, her black eyes dancing with merriment. "'I can't think what it can be,' said Anne in despair. "'Unless it's that moody Spurgeon McPherson saw you home from prayer meeting last night. "'Did he?' "'I should think not,' exclaimed Diana indignantly. "'I wouldn't be likely to boast of it if he did.' "'That horrid creature! "'I knew you couldn't guess it. "'Mother had a letter from Aunt Josephine today, "'and Aunt Josephine wants you and me "'to go to town next Tuesday "'and stop with her for the exhibition. "'There! "'Oh, Diana!' whispered Anne, "'finding it necessary to lean up against a maple tree for support. "'Do you really mean it? "'But I'm afraid Marilla won't let me go. "'She will say that she can't encourage gadding about.' That was what she said last week when Jane invited me to go with them in their double-seated buggy to the American concert at the White Sands Hotel. I wanted to go, but Marilla said I'd be better at home learning my lessons, and so would Jane. I was bitterly disappointed, Diana. I felt so heartbroken that I wouldn't say my prayers when I went to bed. But I repented of that and got up in the middle of the night and said them anyway. I'll tell you, said Diana. We'll get Mother to ask Marilla. She'll be more likely to let you go then. "'and if she does, we'll have the time of our lives, Anne. "'I've never been to an exhibition, "'and it's so aggravating to hear the other girls "'talking about their trips. "'Jane and Ruby have been twice, "'and they're going this year again. "'I'm not going to think about it at all "'until I know whether I can go or not,' "'said Anne resolutely. "'If I did, and then was disappointed, "'it would be more than I could bear. "'But in case I do go, "'I'm very glad my new coat will be ready by that time. "'Marilla didn't think I needed a new coat, "'She said my old one would do very well for another winter "'and that I ought to be satisfied with having a new dress. "'The dress is very pretty, Diana. "'Navy blue and made so fashionably. 
Marilla always makes my dresses fashionably now, because she says she doesn't intend to have Matthew going to Mrs. Lynde to make them. I am so glad. It's ever so much easier to be good if your clothes are fashionable. At least, it's easier for me. I suppose it doesn't make such a difference to naturally good people. So Marilla bought a lovely piece of blue broadcloth, and it's being made by a real dressmaker over at Carmody. It's to be done Saturday night, and I'm trying not to imagine myself walking up the church aisle on Sunday in my new suit and cap, because I'm afraid it isn't right to imagine such things. But it just slips into my mind in spite of me. My cap is so pretty. Matthew bought it for me the day we were over at Carmody. It's one of those little blue velvet ones that are all the rage, with gold cord and tassels. Your new hat is elegant, Diana, and so becoming. When I saw you come into church last Sunday, my heart swelled with pride to think you were my dearest friend. Do you suppose it's wrong for us to think so much about our clothes? Marilla says it's very sinful. But it is such an interesting subject, isn't it? Marilla agreed to let Anne go to town, and it was arranged that Mr. Barry should take the girls on the following Tuesday. As Charlottetown was thirty miles away, and Mr. Barry wished to go and return the same day, it was necessary to make a very early start. But Anne counted it all joy, and was up before sunrise on Tuesday morning. A glance from her window assured her that the day would be fine, for the eastern sky behind the firs of the haunted wood was all silvery and cloudless. Through the gap in the trees, a light was shining in the western gable of Orchard Slope, a token that Diana was also up. Anne was dressed by the time Matthew had the fire on and had the, and had the breakfast ready when Marilla came down, but for her own part was much too excited to eat. After breakfast, the jaunty new cap and jacket were donned, and Anne hastened over the brook and up to the firs to Orchard Slope. Mr. Barry and Diana were waiting for her, and they were soon on the road. It was a long drive, but Anne and Diana enjoyed every minute of it. It was delightful to rattle along over the moist roads in the early red sunlight that was creeping across the shore and harvest fields. The air was fresh and crisp, and little smoke-blue mists curled through the valleys and floated off from the hills. Sometimes the road went through woods where maples were beginning to hang out scarlet banners. Sometimes it crossed rivers on bridges that made Anne's flesh cringe with the old, half-delightful fear. Sometimes it wound along a harbor shore and passed by a little cluster of weather-gray fishing huts. Again it mounted to hills, once a far sweep of curvy upland or misty blue sky could be seen. But wherever it went, there was much of interest to discuss. It was almost noon when they reached town and found their way to Beechwood. It was quite a fine old mansion, set back from the street in a seclusion of green elms and branching beeches. Miss Berry met them at the door with a twinkle in her sharp black eyes. "'So you've come to see me at last, you Anne girl,' she said. "'Mercy, child, how you've grown! You're taller than I am. You're taller than I am, I declare. And you're ever so much better looking than you used to be, too. But I dare say you know that without being told.' "'Indeed I didn't.' "'said Anne radiantly. "'I know I'm not so freckled as I used to be, "'so I have much to be thankful for, "'but I really hadn't dared to hope "'there was any other improvement. "'I'm so glad you think there is, Miss Barry.' "'Miss Barry's house was furnished "'with great magnificence, "'as Anne told Marilla afterward. "'The two little country girls "'were rather abashed by the splendor of the parlor, "'where Miss Barry left them "'when she went to see about dinner. "'Isn't it just like a palace?' "'whispered Diana. "'I never was in Aunt Josephine's house before.' "'I'd no idea it was so grand. "'I just wish Julia Bell could see this. "'She puts on such airs about her mother's parlor.' "'Velvet carpet,' sighed Anne luxuriously, "'and silk curtains. "'I've dreamed of such things, Diana. "'But do you know I don't believe I feel very comfortable with them after all? "'There are so many things in this room, and all so splendid, "'that there's no scope for imagination. 
"'That is one consolation when you're poor. "'There are so many more things you can imagine about. "'Their sojourn in town was something that Anne and Diana would talk about for years. "'From first to last it was crowded with delights. "'On Wednesday Miss Berry took them to the exhibition grounds "'and kept them there all day. "'It was splendid!' Anne related to Marilla later on. "'I never imagined anything so interesting.' "'I don't really know which department was the most interesting. "'I think I liked the horses and the flowers and the fancy work the best. "'Josie Pye took first prize for knitted lace. "'I was real glad she did, and I was glad that I felt glad. "'For it shows I'm improving, don't you think, Marilla, "'when I can enjoy St. Josie's success? "'Mr. Harmon Andrews took second prize for Gravenstein apples, "'and Mr. Bell took first prize for a pig. "'Diana said she thought it was ridiculous "'for a Sunday school superintendent to take a prize in pigs.' "'but I don't see why. Do you?' "'She said she would always think of it after this "'when he was praying so solemnly. "'Clara Louise McPherson took a prize for painting, "'and Mrs. Lynn got first prize for homemade butter and cheese. "'So Avonlea was pretty well represented, wasn't it? "'Mrs. Lynn was there that day, "'and I never knew how much I really liked her "'until I saw her familiar face among all those strangers. "'There were thousands of people there, Marilla. "'It made me feel dreadfully insignificant.' "'and Miss Barry took us up to the grandstand to see the horse races. "'Mrs. Lynde wouldn't go. "'She said horse racing was an abomination, "'and she, being a church member, "'thought it her bounden duty to set a good example by staying away. "'But there were so many there. "'I don't believe Mrs. Lynde's absence would ever be noticed. "'I don't think, though, that I ought to go very often to horse races, "'because they are awfully fascinating. "'Diana got so excited that she offered to bet me ten cents "'that the red horse would win.' I didn't believe he would, but I refused to bet, because I wanted to tell Mrs. Allen all about everything, and I felt sure it wouldn't do to tell her that. It's always wrong to do anything you can't tell the minister's wife. It's as good as an extra conscience to have a minister's wife for your friend. And I was very glad I didn't bet, because the red horse did win, and I would have lost ten cents. So you see, virtue has its own reward. We saw a man go up in a balloon. I'd love to go up in a balloon, Marilla. It'd be simply thrilling. And we saw a man selling fortunes. You paid him ten cents and a little bird picked out your fortune for you. Miss Barry gave Diana and me ten cents each to have our fortunes told. Mine was that I would marry a dark-complected man who was very wealthy and I would go across water to live. I looked carefully at all the dark men I saw after that, but I didn't care much for any of them. And anyhow, I suppose it's too early to be looking out for him yet. Oh, it was a never-to-be-forgotten day, Marilla. I was so tired I couldn't sleep all night. Mrs. Berry put us in a spare room, according to promise. It was an elegant room, Marilla. But somehow sleeping in a spare room isn't what I used to think it was. That's the worst of growing up, and I'm beginning to realize it. The things you wanted so much when you were a child don't seem half so wonderful to you once you get them. Thursday, the girls had a drive in the park, and in the evening Miss Berry took them to a concert in the Academy of Music, where a noted prima donna was to sing. To Anne, the evening was a glittering vision of delight. Oh, Marilla, it was beyond description. I was so excited I couldn't even talk, so you may know what it was like. I just sat in enraptured silence. Madame Selitsky was perfectly beautiful and wore white satin and diamonds. But when she began to sing, I never thought about anything else. Oh, I can't tell you how I felt, but it seemed to me that it could never be hard to be good anymore. I felt like I do when I look up to the stars. Tears came into my eyes, but oh, they were such happy tears. I was so sorry when it was all over, 
"'and I told Miss Barry I didn't see how I was ever to return to common life again. "'She said she thought if we went over to the restaurant across the street "'and had an ice cream, that might help me. "'That sounded so prosaic. "'But to my surprise, I found it true. "'The ice cream was delicious. "'And it was so lovely and dissipated to be sitting there eating it at eleven o'clock at night. "'Diana said she believed she was born for city life. "'Miss Barry asked me what my opinion was.' "'but I said I had to think it over very seriously "'before I could tell her what I really thought. "'So I thought it over after I went to bed. "'That's the best time to think things out. "'And I came to the conclusion, Marilla, "'that I wasn't born for city life, "'and that I was glad of it. "'It's nice to be eating ice cream "'at brilliant restaurants at 11 o'clock at night once in a while, "'but as a regular thing, "'I'd rather be in the East Gable at 11, sound asleep, "'but kind of knowing even in my sleep "'that the stars were shining outside,' "'and the wind was blowing in the furs across the brook. "'I told Miss Barry so at breakfast the next morning, and she laughed. "'Miss Barry generally laughs at anything I say, "'even when I say the most solemn things. "'I don't think I liked it, Marilla, "'because I wasn't trying to be funny. "'But she is the most hospitable lady, and treated us royally.' "'Friday brought going home time, "'and Mr. Barry drove in for the girls. "'Well, I hope you've enjoyed yourselves,' said Miss Barry, "'as she bade them good-bye.' "'Indeed we have,' said Diana. "'And how about you, Anne?' "'I've enjoyed every minute of the time,' said Anne, "'throwing her arms impulsively about the old woman's neck "'and kissing her wrinkled cheek. "'Diana would have never dared to do such a thing "'and felt rather aghast at Anne's freedom. "'But Miss Barry was pleased, "'and she stood on her veranda "'and watched the buggy out of sight. "'Then she went back into her big house with a sigh. "'It seemed very lonely, "'lacking those fresh young lives. "'Miss Barry was a rather selfish old lady,' "'if the truth must be told, "'and had never cared much for anybody but herself. "'She valued people only as if they were of service to her "'or amused her. "'Anne had amused her, "'and consequently stood high in the old lady's good graces. "'But Miss Barry found herself thinking less about Anne's quaint speeches "'than of her fresh enthusiasms, "'her transparent emotions, "'her little winning ways, "'and the sweetness of her eyes and lips.' "'I thought Marilla Cuthbert was an old fool "'when I heard she'd adopted a girl out of an orphan asylum,' "'she said to herself. "'But I guess she didn't make much of a mistake after all. "'If I had a child like Anne in the house all the time, "'I'd be a better and happier woman.' "'Anne and Diana found the drive home as pleasant as the drive-in. "'Pleasanter, indeed, "'since there was the delightful consciousness of home waiting at the end of it. "'It was sunset when they passed through white sands "'and turned into the shore road.' Beyond, the Avonlea hills came out darkly against the saffron sky. Behind them, the moon was rising out of the sea that grew all radiant and transfigured in her light. Every little cove along the curving road was a marvel of dancing ripples. The waves broke with a soft swish on the rocks below them, and the tang of the sea was in the strong, fresh air. "'Oh, but it's good to be alive and to be going home,' breathed Anne." When she crossed the log bridge over the brook, the kitchen light of Green Gables winked to her a friendly welcome back, and through the open door shone the hearth fire, sending out its warm red glow athwart the chilly autumn night. Anne ran blithely up the hill and into the kitchen, where hot supper was waiting on the table. "'So you've got back,' said Marilla, folding up her knitting. "'Yes, and oh, it's so good to be back,' said Anne joyously. "'I could kiss everything, even to the clock, Marilla. "'A broiled chicken?' "'You don't mean to say you cooked that for me?' "'Yes, I did,' said Marilla. "'I thought you'd be hungry after such a drive "'and need something really appetizing. "'Hurry and take off your things, "'and we'll have supper as soon as Matthew comes in. "'I'm glad you got back, I must say. 
"'It's been fearful lonesome here without you, "'and I never put in four longer days.' After supper, Anne sat before the fire between Matthew and Marilla and gave them a full account of her visit. "'I've had a splendid time,' she concluded happily, "'and I feel that it marks an epoch in my life, "'but the best of all was the coming home.'" We'll return with Chapter 30 right after, this, right after these sponsor messages. And now Chapter 30 from Anne of Green Gables. THE QUEEN'S CLASS IS ORGANIZED. Marilla laid her knitting on her lap and leaned back in her chair. Her eyes were tired, and she thought vaguely that she must see about having her glasses changed the next time she went to town, for her eyes had grown tired very often of late. It was nearly dark, for the full November twilight had fallen around Green Gables, and the only light in the kitchen came from the dancing red flames in the stove. Anne was curled up Turk-fashion on the hearth rug, "'gazing into that joyous glow "'where the sunshine of a hundred summers "'was being distilled from the maple cordwood. "'She had been reading, "'but her book had slipped to the floor, "'and now she was dreaming, "'with a smile on her parted lips. "'Glittering castles in Spain "'were shaping themselves "'out of the mists and rainbows "'of her lively fancy. "'Adventures wonderful and enthralling "'were happening to her in Cloudland, "'adventures that always turned out triumphantly "'and never involved her in scrapes "'like those of actual life.' Marilla looked at her with a tenderness that would never have been suffered to reveal itself in any clearer light than that soft mingling of fireshine and shadow. The lesson of a love that should display itself easily in spoken word and open look was one Marilla could never learn. But she had learned to love this slim, gray-eyed girl with an affection all the deeper and stronger from its very undemonstrativeness. Her love made her afraid of being unduly indulgent, indeed. She had an uneasy feeling that it was rather sinful to set one's heart so intensely on any human creature as she had set hers on Anne, and perhaps she performed a sort of unconscious penance for this by being stricter and more critical than if the girl had been less dear to her. Certainly Anne herself had no idea how much Marilla loved her. She sometimes thought wistfully that Marilla was very hard to please and distinctly lacking in sympathy and understanding, but she always checked the thought reproachfully, remembering what she owed to Marilla. "'Anne,' said Marilla, abruptly. "'Miss Stacy was here this afternoon when you were out with Diana.' "'Anne came back from her other world with a start and a sigh. "'Was she? "'Oh, I'm so sorry I wasn't in. "'Why didn't you call me, Marilla? "'Diana and I were only over in the haunted wood. "'It's lovely in the woods right now. "'All the little wood things, the ferns and the satin leaves and the crackerberries, "'have gone to sleep, "'just as if somebody had tucked them away until spring under a blanket of leaves.' I think it was a little gray fairy with a rainbow scarf that, that came tiptoeing along the last moonlit night and did it. Diana wouldn't say much about that, though. Diana has never forgotten the scolding her mother gave her about imagining ghosts into the haunted wood. It had a very bad effect on Diana's imagination. It blighted it. Mrs. Lynn says Myrtle Bell is a blighted bean. I asked Ruby Gillis why Myrtle was blighted, and Ruby said she guessed it was because her younger man had gone back on her. Ruby Gillis thinks of nothing but young men, and the older she gets, the worse she is. Young men are all very well in their place, but it doesn't do to drag them into everything, does it? Diana and I are thinking seriously of promising each other that we will never marry, but be nice old maids and live together forever. Diana hasn't quite made up her mind, though, because she thinks perhaps it would be nobler to marry some wild, dashing, wicked young man and reform him. Diana and I talk a great deal about serious subjects now, you know. We feel that we are so much older than we used to be, 
"'that it isn't becoming to talk of childish matters. "'It's such a solemn thing to be almost fourteen, Marilla. "'Miss Stacy took all us girls who were in our teens "'down to the brook last Wednesday and talked to us about it. "'She said we couldn't be too careful what habits we formed "'and what ideals we acquired in our teens, "'because by the time we were twenty, "'our characters would be developed "'and the foundation laid for a whole future life. "'And she said if the foundation was shaky, "'we could never build anything really worthwhile on it. "'Diana and I talked the matter over coming home from school. "'We felt extremely solemn, Marilla, "'and we decided that we would try to be very careful indeed "'and form respectable habits "'and learn all we could and be as sensible as possible, "'so that by the time we were twenty, "'our characters would be properly developed. "'It's perfectly appalling to think of being twenty, Marilla. "'It sounds so fearfully old and grown up. "'But why was Miss Stacy here this afternoon?' "'That's what I want to tell you, Anne.' "'If you'll ever give me a chance to get a word in edgewise, "'she was talking about you.' "'About me?' "'Anne looked rather scared. "'Then she flushed and exclaimed, "'Oh, I know what she was saying. "'I meant to tell you, Marilla, honestly I did, "'but I forgot. "'Miss Stacy caught me reading Ben-Hur in school yesterday afternoon "'when I should have been studying my Canadian history. "'Jane Andrews lent it to me. "'I was reading it at dinner hour, "'and I had just got to the chariot race when school went in.' I was simply wild to know how it turned out, although I felt sure Ben-Hur must win, because it wouldn't be poetical justice if he didn't. So I spread the history open on my desk lid and then tucked Ben-Hur between the desk and my knee. I just looked as if I were studying Canadian history, you know, while all the while I was reveling in Ben-Hur. I was so interested in it that I never noticed Miss Stacy coming down the aisle until all at once I just looked up and there she was looking down at me, so reproachful-like. I can't tell you how ashamed I felt, Marilla. "'especially when I heard Josie Pyle giggling. "'Miss Stacy took Ben-Hur away, "'but she never said a word then. "'She kept me in at recess and talked to me. "'She said I had done very wrong in two respects. First, I was wasting the time I ought to have put on my studies. "'And secondly, I was deceiving my teacher "'and trying to make it appear I was reading a history "'when it was a storybook instead. "'I had never realized until that moment, Marilla, "'that what I was doing was deceitful. "'I was shocked. "'I cried bitterly.' "'and asked Miss Stacy to forgive me, "'and I'd never do such a thing again. "'And I offered to do penance "'by never so much as looking at Ben-Hur for a whole week, "'not even to see how the chariot race turned out. "'But Miss Stacy said she wouldn't require that, "'and she forgave me freely. "'So I think it wasn't very kind of her "'to come up here to, to tell you about it after all.' "'Anne, Anne, Anne. "'Miss Stacy never mentioned such a thing to me, Anne, "'and it's only your guilty conscience that's the matter with you. "'You have no business to be taking storybooks to school.' "'You read too many novels anyhow. "'When I was a girl, I wasn't so much as allowed to look at a novel.' "'Oh, how can you call Ben-Hur a novel "'when it's really such a religious book?' protested Anne. "'Of course, it's a little too exciting to be proper reading for Sunday, "'and I only read it on weekdays. "'I never read any book now "'unless either Miss Stacy or Miss Allen "'thinks it's a proper book for a girl thirteen and three-quarters to read. "'Miss Stacy made me promise that. "'She found me reading a book one day called "'The Lurid Mystery of the Haunted Hall.' It was one Ruby Gillis had lent me, and oh, Marilla, it was so fascinating and creepy. It just curdled the blood in my veins. But Miss Stacy said it was a very silly, unwholesome book, and she asked me not to read it any more or any others like it. I didn't mind promising not to read it any more, but it was agonizing to give back that book without knowing how it turned out. But my love for Miss Stacy stood the test, and I did. It's really wonderful, Marilla, what you can do when you're truly anxious to please a certain person. "'Well, I guess I'll light the lamp and get to work,' said Marilla. 
"'I see plainly that you don't want to hear what Miss Stacy had to say. "'You are more interested in the sound of your own tongue than in anything else.' "'Oh, indeed, Marilla, I do want to hear it,' cried Anne contritely. "'I won't say another word. Not one. "'I know I talk too much, but I'm really trying to overcome it. "'And although I say far too much, "'yet if you only knew how many things I want to say and don't, "'you'd give me some credit for it. "'Please tell me, Marilla.' "'Well, well, Miss Stacy wants to organize a class among her advanced students "'who mean to study for the entrance examination into Queens. "'She intends to give them extra lessons for an hour after school. "'And she came to ask Matthew and I if we would like to have you join it. "'What do you think about it yourself, Anne? "'Would you like to go to Queens and pass for a teacher?' "'Oh, Marilla!' Anne straightened to her knees and clasped her hands. "'It's been the dream of my life. "'That is... "'for the last six months, "'ever since Ruby and Jane began to talk of studying for the entrance. "'But I didn't say anything about it, "'because I supposed it would be perfectly useless. "'I'd love to be a teacher. "'But won't it be dreadfully expensive? "'Mr. Andrews says it cost him $150 to put Prissy through, "'and Prissy wasn't a dunce in geometry. "'Well, I guess you needn't worry about that part of it. "'When Matthew and I took you to bring up, "'we resolved we would do the best we could for you "'and give you a good education.' I believe in a girl being fitted to earn her own living whether she ever has to or not. You'll always have a home here at Green Gables, as long as Matthew and I are here. But nobody knows what is going to happen in this uncertain world. And it's just as well to be prepared. So you can join the Queen's class if you like, Anne. Oh, Marilla, thank you. Anne flung her arms about Marilla's waist and looked up earnestly into her face. I'm extremely grateful to you and Matthew. "'and I'll study as hard as I can "'and do my very best to be a credit to you. "'I warn you not to expect much in geometry, "'but I think I can hold my own in anything else "'if I work hard.' "'I dare say you'll get along well enough. "'Miss Stacy says you're bright and diligent.' "'Not for worlds would Marilla have told Anne "'just what Miss Stacy had said about her. "'That would have been to pamper vanity. "'You needn't rush to any extreme "'of killing yourself over your books. "'There's no hurry.' "'You won't be ready to try the entrance for a year and a half yet. "'But it's well to begin in time and be thoroughly grounded,' Miss Stacy says. "'I shall take more interest than ever in my studies now,' said Anne blissfully. "'Because I have a purpose in life. "'Mr. Allen says everybody should have a purpose in life and pursue it faithfully. "'Only he says we must first make sure that it is a worthy purpose. "'I would call it a worthy purpose to want to be a teacher like Miss Stacy, wouldn't you, Marilla?' I think it's a very noble profession. The Queen's class was organized in due time. Gilbert Blythe, Anne Shirley, Ruby Gillis, Jane Andrews, Josie Pye, Charlie Sloan, and Moody Spurgeon McPherson joined it. Diana Barrett did not, as her parents did not intend to send her to Queen's. This seemed nothing short of a calamity to Anne. Never, since the night on which Minnie May had had the croup, had she and Diana been separated in anything. On the evening when the Queen's class first remained in school for the extra lessons, and Anne saw Diana go slowly out with the others, to walk home alone to the birch path and violet vale. It was all the former could do to keep her seat and refrain from rushing impulsively after her friend. A lump came into her throat, and she hastily retired behind the pages of her uplifted Latin grammar to hide the tears in her eyes. Not for worlds would Anne have had Gilbert Blythe or Josie Pye see those tears. But, oh, Marilla! I really felt that I'd tasted the bitterness of death, as Mr. Allen said in his sermon last Sunday, when I saw Diana go out alone, 
she said mournfully that night. I thought how splendid it would have been if Diana had only been going to study for the entrance, too. But we can't have things perfect in this imperfect world, as Mrs. Lynde says. Mrs. Lynde isn't exactly a comforting person sometimes, but there's no doubt she says a great many very true things. And I think the Queen's class is going to be extremely interesting. Jane and Ruby are just going to study to be teachers. That is the height of their ambition. Ruby says she will only teach for two years after she gets through, and then she intends to be married. Jane says she will devote her whole life to teaching, and never, never marry, because you're paid a salary for teaching. But a husband won't pay you anything, and growls if you ask for a share in the egg and butter money. I expect Jane speaks from mournful experience, for Mrs. Lynn says that her father is a perfect old crank, and meaner than second skimmings. Josie Pye says she's just going to college for education's sake, because she won't have to earn her own living. She says, of course, it's different with orphans who are living on charity. They have to hustle. Moody Spurgeon is going to be a minister. Mrs. Lynn says he couldn't be anything else with a name like that to live up to. I hope it isn't wicked of me, Marilla, but really the thought of Moody Spurgeon being a minister makes me laugh. He's such a funny-looking boy with that big, fat face and his little blue eyes and his ears sticking out like flaps. But perhaps he will be more intellectual-looking when he grows up. Charlie Sloan says he's going into politics and be a member of the Parliament. But Mrs. Lynn says he'll never succeed at that, because the Sloans are all honest people, and it's only rascals that go on to politics nowadays. "'What is Gilbert Blythe going to be?' queried Marilla, seeing that Anne was opening her Caesar. "'I don't happen to know what Gilbert Blythe's ambition in life is, or if he has any,' said Anne, scornfully. "'There was open rivalry between Gilbert and Anne now.' Previously, the rivalry had been rather one-sided, but there was no longer any doubt that Gilbert was as determined to be first in class as Anne was. He was a foeman worthy of her steel. The other members of the class tacitly acknowledged their superiority and never dreamed of trying to compete with them. Since the day by the pond, when she had refused to listen to his plea for forgiveness, Gilbert, save for the aforesaid determined rivalry, had evinced no recognition whatever of the existence of Anne Shirley. He talked and jested with the other girls, exchanged books and puzzles with them, discussed lessons and plans, sometimes walked home with one or the other of them from prayer meeting or debating club. But Anne Shirley, he simply ignored, and Anne found out that it is not pleasant to be ignored. It was in vain that she told herself, with a toss of her head, that she did not care. Deep down in her wayward, feminine little heart, she knew that she did care, and if she had that chance of the Lake of Shining Waters again, she would answer very differently. All at once, as it seemed, and to her secret dismay, she found that old resentment she had cherished against him was gone, gone just when she most needed its sustaining power. It was in vain that she recalled every incident and emotion of that memorable occasion and tried to feel the old satisfying anger. That day by the pond had witnessed its last spasmodic flicker. Anne realized that she had forgiven and forgotten without knowing it. "'but it was too late. "'And at least neither Gilbert nor anybody else, "'not even Diana, "'should ever suspect how sorry she was "'and how much she wished she hadn't been so proud and horrid. "'She determined to, as she felt, "'shroud her feelings in deepest oblivion. "'And it may be stated here and now that she did it, "'so successfully that Gilbert, "'who possibly was not quite so indifferent as he seemed, "'could not console himself with any belief "'that Anne felt as retaliatory scorn.' The only poor comfort he had was that she snubbed Charlie Sloane unmercifully, continually, and undeservedly. 
"'Otherwise the winter passed away in a round of pleasant duties and studies. "'For Anne the days slipped by like golden beads on the necklace of the year. "'She was happy, eager, interested. "'There were lessons to be learned and honor to be won, "'delightful books to read, "'new pieces to be practiced for the Sunday school choir, "'pleasant Saturday afternoons at the manse with Mrs. Allen. "'And then, almost before Anne realized it, "'spring had come again to Green Gables, "'and all the world was abloom once more.' "'Studies Paul just a wee bit, then. "'The Queen's class, left behind in school "'while the others scattered to green lanes "'and leafy woodcuts and meadow byways, "'looked wistfully out of the windows "'and discovered that Latin verbs and French exercises "'had somehow lost the tang and zest "'they had possessed in the crisp winter months. "'Even Anne and Gilbert lagged and grew indifferent. "'Teacher and taught were alike glad "'when the term was ended "'and the glad vacation days stretched rosily before them. "'But you've done good work this past year,' "'Miss Stacy told them on the last evening, "'and you deserve a good, jolly vacation. "'Have the best time you can in the out-of-door world "'and lay in a good stock of health and vitality "'and ambition to carry you through the next year. "'It will be the tug-of-war, you know, "'the last year before the entrance. "'Are you going to be back next year, Miss Stacy?' "'asked Josie Pye. "'Josie Pye never scrupled to ask questions. "'In this instance the rest of the class felt grateful to her. "'None of them would have dared to ask it of Miss Stacy. "'but all wanted to, "'for there had been alarming rumors "'running at large through the school "'for some time "'that Miss Stacy was not coming back "'the next year, "'that she had been offered a position "'in the grade school "'of her own home district "'and meant to accept. "'The Queen's class listened "'in breathless suspense "'for her answer. "'Yes, I think I will,' "'said Miss Stacy. "'I thought of taking another school, "'but I've decided to come back "'to Avonlea. "'To tell the truth, "'I've grown so interested "'in my pupils here "'that I found I couldn't leave them.' "'so I'll stay and see you through.' "'Hooray!' said Moody Spurgeon. "'Moody Spurgeon had never been so carried away "'by his feelings before, "'and he blushed uncomfortably "'every time he thought about it for a week. "'Oh, I'm so glad,' said Anne, with shining eyes. "'Dear Stacy, it would be perfectly dreadful "'if you didn't come back. "'I don't believe I could have the heart "'to go on with my studies at all "'if another teacher came here.' "'When Anne got home that night, "'she stacked all her textbooks away "'in an old trunk in the attic.' "'locked it, and threw the key into the blanket box. "'I'm not even going to look at a school book in vacation,' she told Marilla. "'I've studied as hard all the term as possibly I could, "'and poured over that geometry until I know every proposition in the first book off by heart, "'even when the letters are changed. "'I just feel tired of everything sensible, "'and I'm going to let my imagination run riot for the summer. "'Oh, you needn't be alarmed, Marilla. "'I'll only let it run riot with reasonable limits.' "'but I want to have a really good jolly time this summer, "'for maybe it's the last summer I'll be a little girl. "'Mrs. Lynn says that I keep stretching out next year "'as I've done that I'll have to put on longer skirts. "'She says I'm all running to legs and eyes, "'and when I put on longer skirts, "'I shall feel that I have to live up to them "'and be very dignified. "'It won't even do to believe in fairies then, I'm afraid, "'so I'm going to believe in them "'with all my whole heart this summer. "'I think we're going to have a very fun vacation.' "'Ruby Gillis is going to have a birthday party soon, "'and there's the Sunday school picnic "'and the missionary concert next month. "'And Mr. Barry says that some evening "'he'll take Diana and me over to the White Sands Hotel "'and have dinner there. "'They have dinner there in the evening, you know. "'Jane Andrews was over once last summer, "'and she says it was a dazzling sight "'to see the electric lights and the flowers "'and all the lady guests in such beautiful dresses. "'Jane says it was her first glimpse into high life, "'and she'll never forget it to her dying day.' Mrs. Lynn came up the next afternoon to find out why Marilla had not been at the aid meeting on Thursday. 
When Barilla was not at the aid meeting, people knew there was something wrong at Green Gables. Matthew had a bad spell with his heart Thursday, Barilla explained, and I didn't feel like leaving him. Oh, yes, he's all right again now, but he takes them spells oftener than he used to, and I'm anxious about him. The doctor says he must be careful to avoid excitement. That's easy enough, for Matthew doesn't go about looking for excitement by any means, and never did, but he's not to do any very heavy work either, and you might as well tell Matthew not to breathe as not to work. Come and lay off your things, Rachel. You'll stay to tea? Well, seeing you're so pressing, perhaps I might as well stay, said Mrs. Rachel, who had not the slightest intention of doing anything else. Mrs. Rachel and Marilla sat comfortably in the parlor while Anne got the tea and made hot biscuits that were light and white enough to defy even Mrs. Rachel's criticism. I must say, Anne has turned out to be a real smart girl, admitted Mrs. Rachel, as Marilla accompanied her to the end of the lane at sunset. She must be a great help to you. She is, said Marilla, and she's real steady and, and reliable now. I used to be afraid she'd never get over her featherbrained ways, but she has, and I wouldn't be afraid to trust her in anything now. I never would have thought she'd have turned out so well that first day I was here three years ago, said Mrs. Rachel. Lawful heart, shall I ever forget that tantrum of hers. When I went home that night, I says to Thomas, says I, Mark my words, Thomas, Marilla Cuthbert will live to rue the steps she's took. But I was mistaken, and I'm real glad of it. I ain't one of those kind of people, Marilla, as can never be brought to own up when they made a mistake. No, that never was my way, thank goodness. I did make a mistake in judging Anne. "'but it weren't no wonder for an odder, unexpecteder witch of a child "'there never was in this world. That's what. "'There was no ciphering her out by the rules that worked by other children. "'It's nothing short of wonderful how she's improved these three years, "'but especially in looks. She's a real pretty girl got to be. "'Though I can't say I'm overly partial to that pale, big-eyed style myself. "'I like more snap and color, like Diana Berry has or Ruby Gillis. "'Ruby Gillis's looks are real showy. "'But somehow,' I don't know how it is, but when Anne and them are together, though she ain't half as handsome, she makes them look kind of common and overdone. Something like them white June lilies she calls Narcissus alongside of the big red peonies. That's what. Thanks for joining us for these two chapters of Anne of Green Gables by Lucy Maud Montgomery. Please do share our show with a friend, and if you have a moment, please do stop and send us a review for 1001 Greatest Love Stories. We appreciate reviews very, very much. And they help new listeners find us. This is your host, John Hagedorn, and we'll be back next Sunday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Time with two brand new chapters from Anne of Green Gables. Everyone stay safe, and we'll be back soon. Every now and then, in the process of narrating, you run into some tongue twisters that you just can't seem to get past. It happened to me with this story. But Matthew said I must have a new coat. So Marilla bought a lovely piece of blue blo- So Marilla So Marilla bought a lovely piece of blue broadcloth. God. So Marilla bought a lovely piece of blue broadcloth. God knows. So Marilla bought a lovely piece of blue broadcloth. Blue.